It's my favorite part of every superhero movie. It's the origin story, and everybody has one. Welcome to Pinecone Turkey's The Origin Story Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Henry Harris, and it's my privilege to interview superheroes from all walks of life to find out how they got from A to B, to see where they might be going next, and how we all can learn from their journey. Hey, this is Michael Henry Harris, and this is the Origin Story Podcast. And you might notice that my voice is a little deeper and raspier than it is usually. And that is thanks to germs and stress and lack of sleep. Uh, as a lot of you know, uh, Pinecone Turkey released its first book, uh, 12 Authors, 12 Stories, 2018. Each story inspired by a different month of the year. And we released that on 12-12, befittingly enough. And, uh, of course, there's a lot of uh, work that goes into uh, the launch and uh, the launch party and late nights and not taking great care of yourself. And fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not sure which one, uh, the launch was on a Wednesday and it was bookended by two out-of-town trips, one to a wedding in New Orleans that was flat-out fun. And then a trip to Seattle to see some relatives, which was also fun and lots of Late nights involved in both, so I am paying for uh, my fun and the work with a uh, with a cold that I think is just a cold. Though we're gonna check it out to see if it's strep because it feels like strep, but we'll see. Uh, so this is our final podcast of 2018. So I want to thank everyone who has been on the podcast as a guest this year, who joined me in this exper- experiment, and also thank everyone who listened to the podcast. Especially those of those of you who reached out to say they uh, had gotten some benefit from it or were entertained by it uh, meant a lot. Uh, I'm excited to say that we are going to continue to do the podcast into 2019, and even offer a, a, a little bonus podcast as well. Uh, we'll continue to do the once a month interviews with superheroes from all walks of life, and that'll continue to be on this podcast, the Origin Story Podcast. But we're going to expand our origin story to include a couple of works of art. I've been wanting to do this for a long time, really. And by this is what I mean is a conversation with another artist who's in the process of creating something new. And I wanted to compare the processes and talk about the ups and downs of the artistic process. Talk about the realities of the marketplace. And give people a little bit of insight into what goes into creating a new piece of art and then hopefully finding a, a place for that art in the marketplace. Uh, when I was just starting out as an actor 20 years ago or so, I uh, received a lot of knowledge through blogs and um, you know message boards and things like that of you know, people who were doing you know f- going on a journey that I was about to go on. And I learned a lot from them. I was also found just comfort in the fact that there were others out there battling the same things I was battling. And that's the idea for this podcast with, uh, with the origin of, uh, of a new book, hopefully. Uh, and I think I found the perfect partner to do this with. Uh, his name is Will Haraway, and he's a musician and storyteller. He's part of two bands, the Sundogs and the Haraway Brothers. And he's very talented, he's very uh, open, and he's kind, and he gets it. And so we're going to figure out exactly what we're going to do this year, but 
I imagine we'll probably do a once a month podcast uh, talking about different aspects of what we're working on and other things as well. And we're going to kick that off with a regular origin story podcast interview with him and that'll air January. And then after January, we'll start doing these once a month updates on, on the work we're doing. So I hope that's exciting to y'all. It is to me. And uh, as you know, I generally operate from a place of audience of one first. And then if anybody else can get some entertainment or benefit of it, that's that's what we're aiming for. That's all the better. But uh, if it entertains me and I'm excited about it, I'm, I'm hoping that it'll also entertain somebody else. So that's the news here. Um, if you've not yet pitch, picked up a per, 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 <laughs> excuse me, if you have not yet picked up a copy of Twelve Authors, Twelve Stories, 2018, I encourage you to do so. It's available in paperback and Kindle on Amazon, and uh, it's available in some local bookstores. Hopefully, by the time this airs, but it may not. Uh, that may take a little bit. And um, if you've not signed up for the Flock email, I would encourage you to do that also. Just a reminder, the Flock emails are twice a month email, where one email is your minimum monthly dose of art, and the other email is an update on this year' podcast and the podcast, the Owls on Culture podcast. So sign up for that. It's just two emails a month, including this month when we're trying to sell a book. So I was I was proud of my restraint because part of me wanted to send an email a day, like, buy the book, buy the book, buy the book. But that's just annoying, so I didn't do it. Um, so that's it. So today's superhero is Reed Smith-Venez, and Reed is the CEO of Reliant Technology, and is a technology company that specializes in the reselling and repurposing of new and certified uh, pre-owned Dell, MC, NetApp, Cisco, HP hardware, and third-party support for storage, for data storage. They also do uh, service on those storage. And I didn't really know what that meant, and I'm not sure I know exactly all about it now. Um, but I know enough, and I know that Reed is a, a heck of a guy. He's been a friend for a little while now, and I uh, was curious about his business, uh, curious about how he operates. And it was really fun talking to him, especially listening to the stories of his uh, youth. You know, having a child, as I do, and a 12-year-old at that, it's interesting for me to see who he is and who he's becoming. And it's a little... Um, it relieves them of the pressure to see just how much of a human, of his own human that he is, regardless of uh, what my wife and I and how we raise him. He is going to be who he's going to be. And I feel like Reed was born to be a businessman. He was born to be a, a, a salesman at first. And, and we, sometimes we say the word salesman and it has a negative connotation, but a salesman in the consummate way of, of being open and available and talking to another human being and then trying to address their needs. Uh, he's a salesman in the best possible way one can be a salesman. And so we talk a lot about that, a lot about uh, specific tactics as well as general philosophy. We talk about what it takes to run a company, what it takes to start your own company. I know of several people in my life who are not 100% happy with their jobs and are looking for what to do next and listening to Reed's journey, I think, will help them. Uh, I know it's helping me uh, as I re-listen to it and doing the show notes. So I hope you guys will enjoy it a lot. Reed is a heck of a guy, uh, and I'm really excited that he was able to be a part of the podcast. 
Uh, as this is airing in December, I will wish everyone a happy holidays, a Merry Christmas, Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah, whatever it is you celebrate, Saturnalia, whatever it may be, winter solstice. Uh, I hope this is a great time for you. Uh, I know that this can be a joyous, joyous time for a lot of people, and it can also be a very difficult time. So I hope that everyone will be doing well and that this podcast finds you well and that you enjoy it. And without further ado, Reed Smith Venez. Reed Smith Venez. How you doing, sir? I'm doing awesome. I'm very excited that Michael Harris is here to talk to me today. I'm excited to be here. Uh, did I pronounce your name correctly? Smith Venez. Smith Venez. It, it looks like Venise or Vainize. I've heard it like 15 different times. So the the stress of the pronunciation on Venez is on the Nez. Venez. V. Venez. No, I guess. Yeah, that's right. That's stressed <laughs> on the V. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I was, you know, took English. People think I'm like Portuguese, Puerto Rican, Brazilian, or, or, or I'm progressive. I'm neither. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so I met your wife first yeah. uh, through my wife. Yeah. And I just figured like it was like a hyphenated name situation, like her last name. So what, what is the derivation of Smith Venez? <laughs> You pronounce it right. You know, Learning. A thousand gold stars for you. Um, you. Uh, the story goes, which this is probably 93.645% right. <laughs> so there's some variability here. Uh, my last name is Smith Venez. Uh, it has a hyphen, and then it's V-A-N-I-Z. So the story goes, which is printed, you can find it on some old newspaper, my great-great-great-grandfather was a doctor. His name was, I think it was Dr. George Smith. I forgot his last name. I think it's George. He had five children, and he lived in Mississippi. And he was a doctor, so Dr. Smith. And he basically um, lived on a road with another guy. His last name was Smith, and he happened to be a preacher. So he's Dr. Smith, too. So now you have two Dr. Smiths on the same <laughs> road. So apparently over, the, over time, one person ended up getting the Bibles, and one person getting the medicine. Preacher got the medicine, the doctor got the Bibles, or something like that. Right. So he said, I'm tired of everybody getting my name mixed up. I'm going to create my own unique last name. So he, he put all the letters of the alphabet in a hat, in a hat. And he has five children, one, two, three, four, five. And they either allowed every child to draw out a letter, or they picked out a letter to represent each child. And they drew out V-A-N-I-Z, which is crazy. And the thing is, uh, I don't know if they have two hats, one for consonants and one for vowels. Right. But they drew it out, and they made a word out of it. And you know they were going crazy when the Z popped out. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) and a V. These are people in Mississippi that have a name of Smith who now have all these Italian letters that are popping out of a hat that is amazing yes how how frustrating how much how much how what the level of frustration must have been for their like screw it we're just gonna pull things out of a hat uh, I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't know who came with that idea but i don't know so ever since i mean he had to go to the mississippi state legislature to change his name because you just can't change your name very easily especially back then right but i mean ever since i mean I don't know how many times I told that story. It's a zillion. I'm sure. And people are always like, I just thought you took your wife's last name. Or I thought <laughs> you guys are really progressive. Very or thought, progressive. Or I thought, you know, maybe you're from Portugal, you know, or Hispanic. Right. <laughs> so now you can just refer them to this podcast and be like, just listen to the first listen, 30 seconds of this. Listen to the podcast, you're good to go. Uh, so is Mississippi where you grew up? Yeah. What part? 
I grew up in Canton, Mississippi. So where is that in the state? It's right in the middle. If you put your finger and said, touch the middle of Mississippi, you touch Canton. Is it famous for anything? Is it known for anything? Is it's it, probably, you know, I don't know. It's, a, it's it? a small town, small cotton farming town, 15,000 people or so. Okay. Uh, used to be, you know, one of your kind of booming farming towns, probably smaller than Macon, Georgia, if you're familiar with Georgia. I am. Um, but it's just a town that, like all small southern towns, declines over time because there's no jobs there. Right. And, you know, farming becomes more consolidated with large farmers and stuff like that. So uh, it's a town in decline. Rich heritage, but a town in decline. Is that what your dad did? Was he a farmer? He uh, is uh, an attorney that was a real estate attorney. Okay. And and he actually became a real estate... um, I don't know. He sells he sells real estate. He specializes in farmland. He specializes in hunting land, large tracts of like agricultural land. Does he still do that? Yes, he still does it. That's cool. Yeah, he does it really well because he's got the real estate side. No, he knows the real estate aspect of buying and selling property. Right. And he 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 knows the, you know, obviously how to sell land yeah and he sell he knows how to actually manage those large pieces of property because he has a farm and he's had large hunting properties that kind of stuff i gotcha yeah. what uh what was it like to grow up there uh what kind of kid were you i was a uh i would say my buddy said this about his life i said i have a pretty charmed life when i was growing up i grew up uh like i said in canton and uh lived on probably 150 acres oh wow besides a golf course i mean talk about privilege this is, <laughs> this is this is not like a this is not like living next to pebble beach or uh a really nice golf club but it was a nice you know small little yeah. golf course totally awesome and i had uh, a, a, a go-kart and i had four-wheelers growing up and dogs i gotcha and i would ride my four-wheeler all over the property and everyone was always talking about me and my four-wheeler i was yeah. always going a thousand miles an hour and my like dad. how you like how like at eight or like like, like at how three? <laughs> yeah, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. Yeah, I got on my first three wheeler, a three wheeler. If you remember those, I do. You could turn those things just flip. They they got outlawed because they're so dangerous. But I put one into a car. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was like the first time I've ever ridden it. You know, and I'm not like you're. You're the way you grew up is exactly the opposite that I did. Okay, and, like the very first time I got on one. I basically hit the go. I think it was like a little thumb thing or whatever. Yeah. And it went straight and then left, hard left, right into a car. (laughs) You're from New York, right? No, I grew up in Columbus, Georgia. Oh, okay. uh, And I had friends that lived like outside Columbus. And so like I would go visit them or play with their kind of, they had a kind of upbringing more like you. Okay. And I, and I didn't, but uh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. I used to ride three wheelers all over the place. uh, And my dad told me, he's like, keep it in first gear, like first gear. And first gear, if you've ever ridden a three or four or a car, it's good for like pulling stuff. It's like <laughs> torque, slow. Right. And after about, I don't know, two or three days, and my sister hopped on the back, she said, put it in second gear. I was like, <laughs> it has another the gear. A little whisper in your ear. It has another ear. Oh it has another gear. So then I was going in fifth gear. So outstanding. So I've been going fast ever since. Uh, is your sister older or younger? She's older. Okay. And yep. where is she? She's in Jackson. Jackson, Mississippi? Jackson, Mississippi. What does she do? She is a sales rep for a uh, like a pharmaceutical company. I think Alcon is the name of the company. Okay. Uh, contacts and stuff like that. Are you all close? Yes. Very close. Oh, that's cool. Very close. She's got two kids. 
and they were like nine and eleven. I probably screwed that up, but nine eleven. <laughs> yeah. And uh, got a wonderful husband, and we hang out a few times a year. We get to go go to each other's houses and stuff like that. Well, that's cool. What about uh, what about high school? Were you a popular kid? Are you an athlete? Are you a nerd? What are you? I was kind of somewhere a, in between. I think I would be classified as a chameleon. Okay, I can kind of I can kind of walk between all different types of people. Has that always been the case? Yes. I always always have the ability to kind of blend into different groups for some reason. I don't know if it's a skill or a defense mechanism, but um, I I hung out with people who are in athletics. I played golf growing up, which is pretty low torque sport. I, I played you know <laughs> yeah. I, I played uh, football when I was probably on ninth grade. But I was really small. Yeah, and I was like, I'm kind of tired of two a days and getting the crap beat out of me. Sure. So I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah, but <laughs> it's kind of the peer pressure thing to play football. But after a certain point, I was like, "Screw that!" All right, this is not this is not the sport for me. This is not for me. I don't. I I, I like leisurely walks on on <laughs> yeah. golf courses. Pretty not, days. Not getting <laughs> pretty days. Sunsets. You know, not not getting hit full speed by a dude that weighs two twenty five when I'm one thirty five. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, did you go to college? Yeah. Where'd you go? I went to two colleges. Sweet. Sort Don't of. need just one. Get two. No, two. I got two. No, I went to Mississippi State. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is that, uh, that is in, was that in Jackson? No. Starkville. 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 So uh, why Mississippi State? I went to Mississippi State because I was, um, it was probably familiar, quite frankly. Is it close to Kenton? Yep. It was close to Canton. It was probably, you know, three hours away, something like that, northern Mississippi. And uh, people in Mississippi typically go, if you said people in a typical school in Mississippi are going to Ole Miss or they're going to go to Mississippi State, right. at least in my school. Yeah. I'd say 80 to 90% of the kids went to those two schools. Some went to community college. Some didn't go to college. Some went to, you know, like Swanee or some other liberal arts college. It's smaller. Right. Maybe a few, one or two went to a really – Sub Ivy Ivy kind of kind of thing, um, but I went to Mississippi State. My sister went to school there, and uh, it just more identified with me. Ole Miss is great, uh, but Mississippi State felt a little more casual, and that's kind of who I am. Do you know what you wanted to be? Did you have an idea of that? A rock star, of course. Well, outstanding. Are you like? Are you kidding or not? <laughs> no, I, <laughs> uh, I don't know what I wanted to be when I was young. I. I I had a lot of I was always in sales growing up, like I always had sales jobs when I was in high school. Really? Yeah. Like retail or like I started I a fire. I had a fireworks stand when I was how old was I? Fifteen? No way. Yeah. And this was your idea? I think my dad's and my dad I think actually it was just crazy because he does have a little wild. He he knew a guy that sold wholesale fireworks, so he left he lent me like five hundred bucks to go buy them. And then I bought them, and fireworks have a like a six hundred percent markup. And so there was this like little old wooden trailer in town, and we pulled it to the gas station, and filled up these fireworks, and I sold fireworks during uh, Christmas and Fourth of July. Like you see a fireworks stand. Yeah. So I sold fireworks. I sold my first thing. When I sold was three. I sold moss to my friend's grandmother. That's the first thing we dug up in the front yard and tried to sell Wheezy some moss. We uh, we had mowed grass. We uh, washed cars. All so, and I worked at a bike shop selling bikes. So was this something that came uh, natural to you, or was your, your dad like you know you need to go out and get a job or experience, or 
Well, something you wanted to do? I don't do know, because it's something like I like think about my kids. I have three kids, and I'm like, I want to impart, you know, uh, I guess not just diligence, but just hard work, you know, good good hard work, a good work ethic, I think that's what it is. And uh, it's kind of something I just always wanted to do. I guess I was kind of good at it. Yeah. Um, I won all these kind of students' sale-a-thons where you sell, like, chocolate-covered almonds and weird stuff like that. You know, Boy Scout kind of stuff where you right. sell stamps, cards, and stuff. Yeah. I was always selling something. So you had this kind of entrepreneurial spirit, like, yeah. early on. Yeah, it really was. I think there was. there's probably... The thing that probably fueled it was I've always been kind of a I can talk to people um, and I enjoy talking I enjoy people and I enjoy talking to them and asking questions and stuff and um, I think that natural affinity for that plus the positive reinforcement loop of when you sell something you get paid for it and if you're kind of decently good at it it's like a self-reinforcing mechanism right at least it was for me do you remember what you did with the money or what you wanted it to do absolutely do you- I saved the money. Saved it, a big Mountain Dew cardboard can thing. Really? Oh, and my dad, <laughs> yeah. my dad did not have. There was not an ATM machine in Canton, Mississippi, and my dad would borrow money from me from time to time and at a reasonable rate, I presume. At ten percent interest daily, oh, there compounding. Was no, what? Yes. <laughs> so he would come. Doing what you're doing? That's amazing. <laughs> so he'd come to me, and this is probably when it started when I was about seven or eight. He come to me, and says, because. I would get some money and I'd save up 300 bucks, which is a lot of money for a kid. Yeah. A ton of money. And I really wouldn't spend it on much. And I probably, I'm, you know, I probably carried that on to my future endeavors. <laughs> uh, but he would come to me and say, hey, I want to borrow some money. Let me borrow 100 bucks and go out with your mom for dinner or whatever. No ATM machine at yeah. that time. Right. I'm like, that's cool. Just pay me back 110 tomorrow. <laughs> That's so great. The annual interest rate is like 3,000%. <laughs> so where did you learn about like even interest rates, you know, for a high schooler that, you I know, some do, but most don't? I don't know. Yeah. I just kind of said, yeah, you can borrow the money. You just got to, and he, he giggled and he paid me back the money. That's amazing. And if he was late, I'd double pay him. It was 10 bucks a day. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm never going to borrow money from you. <laughs> and, he, and he, it was usury, quite frankly, which is biblically forbidden. I didn't know that at the time, so I guess I can get away with it. There we go. Uh, but, but, um, yeah, so I had jobs all throughout college, high school and, uh, went to Mississippi state and, um, and what did you study there uh, at school number I st- one? I st- you know, I got a basic business degree, but I left after my freshman year. So why did you leave? I got kicked out of a fraternity for smoking marijuana. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. I thought that was like part of just the pledging process. It should be. It probably <laughs> is in some places, but, um, you know, uh, there was a guy there. I, I respect him. You know, he, he had he had, he probably had just some deep core values about drugs, and it was illegal, so he had a right to bring it up. But uh, I think his I think his brother or friend or I think it was an in law really struggled with drugs, so he had a deep passion around right. It was substance abuse or something like that. It was so an issue. I was young, and I was at a concert, and I had one of the pledge pins on. Okay, and. Um, you know, he saw me, and you know, I got kicked out. So they 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 raised it to a vote, and you had to have a, a small percentage of people that um that kick you out at a chapter meeting or whatever it's called. Right. And they they kicked me out, and it was awful because everyone I knew at the school was in the Greek system, and um you know, my friends from high school were in the system. So it was, it was a it was a really shameful event. It right. Was, it was, and um, when you're in college, you're like, oh, my gosh, what's my friend network? Now I can't hang out with these people. 
Yeah, especially if you're going to like a state at school, the, you grew up in the state, and all the friends are there. Yeah, all that stuff is awful. Did you? Uh, were you? Did you drink or smoke in high school too, or no? Uh, drank, probably tried, you know, pot or something once or twice, but not not much. You weren't like a big partier, pothead, like going no, into school. No, no, no. Drank occasionally, yeah. you know. But no, that that wasn't me. But so when you got kicked out, was it an instant decision to be like, okay, well, I'm done with Mississippi State? No, it was you... kind of a thing. You know, it was my freshman year, and I was like, man, this is hard. So then I, I was like, what am I going to do? I was kind of depressed. I mean, as uh, probably yeah. anybody would be. So I had a friend, uh, Tonya, who went to my high school, and she actually lived and went to Georgia, UGA. So I was like, man, I'm going to come hang out with you on the weekend. Came out and saw a concert, and I was like, holy smokes, man. It was awesome. Like yeah. I, I, I crossed over. I was going to I-20, and I crossed over that, that hill going into, um, uh, what's the name of it? Going by Six Flags, going into Atlanta. I saw Atlanta. It was a fall day, deep fall going into Christmas, and the, the leaves were changing. I was like, man, look at this big city. Look right. at the trees. and. Uh, just cruised in Athens. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, it was awesome! It was yeah. like a cosmopolitan town." Starville is much better, and I haven't been back since I left. But I've heard it's a lot better. But at the time, it was just kind of a really small, kind of felt like it was kind of falling apart in the town. Right. Athens was vibrant. Tons of restaurants and bars, and the campus is beautiful, and there's tons of people. And yeah. I was like, man, I can make a new start here. So that was when I started to explore it, and I finally made a decision to do it. That's cool. Yeah. And did you do a business degree at uh, UGA yeah, also? Yeah, international business. Okay, international which, business. Which is code for finance with a minor in Spanish. <laughs> is that really? Is that, yeah. is that the thing? Yeah. So you take, a, you take a class in like arbitrage, which probably helps me now. What does arbitrage mean? It's basically like arbitrage is basically like I could buy something low here and sell it high here. Okay. And it's also uh, currency hedging. So you know, you're, how do you, how do you have a business that operates in three companies, three countries? If one country the currency gets devalued, okay, you're like, how do we deal with that? It's currency risk, right? There's whole finance teams that deal with currency risk and have all kinds of financial mechanisms to protect currency risk. So I study that kind of stuff. Blah, blah, blah. Got an international finance degree. Don't use it. Okay. <laughs> well, that's, I was going to ask that. Do you feel like your degree, like obviously you learned a ton of things, but do you, are you, is it, is it, a, is it a practical degree or is it a theoretical degree? Or I think education, I think this is something we can talk about for a long time. I've been less and less enchanted with college. Now, this is someone who has a college degree, and very, I am very blessed and very privileged for a zillion different reasons. Um, and at the same time, the college thing I look back on, and I, I have a company, so I've, I have hired several people who did not go to college. And for some positions, I don't think it's warranted. I think it incurs too much debt and perhaps too much time. Yeah, but, I think a lot of people are rethinking this paradigm that – Certainly, you and I grew up on, but definitely yeah. our parents grew up on. Of, you know, you, you know, checklist A, get the undergrad. Checklist yeah. B, go grad school, and then blah blah, work your job. What and do you think? I think it. Uh, I. I mean, 
I wasted my time at college pretty much. So I can't say I didn't. Um, they got. <laughs> I mean, I tell Hank, my son, all the time, like you know, you go to college or not, but I, I want you to be in a position to make that your decision, not their decision. Sure. You know, it just depends on what he's going to want to do. Yeah. You know, and I, I didn't, I'm still figuring out what I want to do, so I don't expect sure. him really to have an answer. But yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm torn. Yeah, I really am because I see uh, a lot of successful people, you know, in both ways. Yeah, it probably depends on the person, and it probably depends on a lot of variables. But I do question it when people exit college and they they've exited with a whole lot of debt. It's going to be really hard to get out of. Now that's now that is one thing I'm positive on. Like it, it does not make sense. In general, of course, there's, you know, specific, you know, circumstances where it does like to get out and then be handcuffed immediately in your like early 20s Dude. and have this huge weight on your shoulders. Like, totally. I completely hope that uh, Hank is fortunate enough not to have that. Yes. Uh, let's skip ahead a little bit. So if you're at a party and somebody says, you know, hey, dude, what do you do for a living? What do, yeah. you, how do, you, what do you say? It depends. So I'm a sales guy. Right. So, so the answer depends on who I'm talking to. Okay. So if I'm talking to someone who knows nothing about IT, I say, I'm an IT, and we help save big companies a lot of money. I love that. That's a great. Oh, my God. That's great. Okay. So I'm a sales guy. I'm trying to keep it simple. Yeah. If I'm talking to someone who's, who's technical that's uh, in IT, is we help IT people look really good and get raises because we help them save time, save money, and make better decisions. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> So we say, and they're like, well, what do you do? How do you do that? So I, I try to explain the why and then go into the what and the how. I love that. So that's that whole Simon Sinek thing. Have you ever seen that start with why? I never read the book, but I, that, I, I live that. Yeah. Like almost every little thing I do is like I, the why is the important thing. Yeah. And I feel like I'm sure there's 500 great pages in there, but like yeah. just the title is enough, really. That's it. You know, you start with why. I think why, what, how, and, you know, the, the you know, why do you do what you do? What do you do what you do and how do you do it? So why do we do it? We save people money. And uh, my, my purpose of the company is to love, serve, and grow people. That's the, that's the deal. Customers as well as my team. Right. Sometimes we do a good job of that. Sometimes we don't. But that's the purpose. So that's what we're aiming for. That's, you know, our thing. But so if I'm, a, I'm, at a company, I'm at a party and I tell people, you know, we save people a bunch of money. They're like, well, what does that mean? I say, well... We work with people who have data centers, and we analyze all the assets that they have in those data centers, and we figure out ways to save money on their support contracts and the equipment they buy, and we have a platform to make that a lot more automated and uh, and easy. It saves everybody time in your organization so you can get back to doing what you really want to do, which is making your company better, not tracking IT equipment and buying it and supporting it. You really want to build new things, which makes your company better, more efficient, and more valuable, and Helps you serve your customers. So that's what we do. I'll buy that. Yeah. Uh, we're going to bounce around a little bit. So what was your first job out of college? First job was working for an IT company. Okay. A similar, a, a, doing the same kind of similar yep. stuff? Yep. In a sales role. So how did you, how did you get that job? Mm. The first jobs are hard. First job was hard. Um, I had a bunch of, uh, like I had a sales job in, in college. I sold clothes and I sold ATM machines. I was an independent distributor of ATM machines. Okay. Well, let's go to the, we'll do the clothes first. What, what kind of clothes? Men's Dress clothes, nice dress clothes. Like one of the George downtown Gibson, store? George, George Gibson? Gibson's in no Athens, way. Georgia. I feel certain I have a blue blazer from there. Oh god, <laughs> I, I had to, I had to sit there and like these old men would walk in that are like eighty-five years old and want Sansa belt pants, and I had to tell them they look good in their pant. It's a pant. It's not pants. Pant. The pant looks good. So um, I sold clothes um, and. Uh, yeah, work work for Andy Gibson and um, 
Selling clothes. That's hilarious to me. I think I've I've met him somehow. I don't remember. That's great. Yeah. I believe he passed away several years ago, but Andy was was a great guy and super friendly and just lived and breathed that store. His dad started that store and I learned a lot about just like how to you just make small talk with people. I already knew that, but that's just something that just and then a little bit about I'm not a big fashion guy, but a little bit about fashion and stuff like that. It was what did what did you learn? Like what are the basics? Uh, some stuff about like suits and what looks good with what. I think okay. just keep it basic. You know, blue suit, white shirt, you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to mess that you up. Know, IBM blue. They, they they made it for a reason. Um, but I really like working there, and I sold ATM machines in college. So how did that come about? You know, I just I, I met this guy. Where did I meet this guy? I met this guy. So I, I do not know. I'm racking my brain. I met a guy that owned an ATM company. They they sold ATM machines, and it was at the time where there were there was all these small companies getting into the space of selling ATM machines to convenience stores, okay, and other things like malls and stuff like that. Oh yeah. So the model was: you sell an ATM machine, you make a commission, and you get a percentage of every transaction that goes through it. So I was like, "This sounds great." Yeah. So I drove around my sophomore year college selling freaking ATM machines. That's amazing. What was your first sale? Where first was sale was, uh, I sold two. I sold two. Which, Sweet. So I sold one that was at a gas station in outside of Madison, Georgia. Okay. I sold another one up in Conyers, I think. Or no, no, somewhere in North Georgia. Like if you go up 85 and take a left, sort of I don't know. I, I can't remember that. I can remember the name of the map. There's a story there. Let's hear it. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> it is it is my sophomore year at Georgia, first year at Georgia. Okay. I transferred from Mississippi State. And I go and meet this guy. And he's like, you know what? I want to buy one of these things. And it was like ten grand. It wasn't cheap. Yeah. And by gosh, he buys it. I'm like, oh my gosh. Right. And I think I was going to make like $3,000. It was a lot of money. That's amazing. In college. I'm like, I'm rich. I'm rich. Completely. And you were right. So I go there to pick up the check and it's right before I drive home to go to go home for Christmas. Mm -hmm. Pick up the check. It is a really windy day. I get the contract and it's check and I go downtown to the FedEx drop box and I drop the check and the thing in the, in the FedEx envelope push that baby in I got a big smile on my face it's windy kind of cold yeah and I just go to this restaurant and have myself a little $25 lunch you know yeah. it's happy me by God drive home next day I get a phone call from the guy who owns ATM shop he's like Reed you won't believe it I'm like what he's like that guy you sold that machine to his friend walked in his convenience store about two hours later with this $10,000 check in his hand. As I was putting it in that FedEx envelope, it blew away, and I didn't know it, and his friend found it. Oh, my God. On the downtown square. And he called the owner and said, if that guy doesn't value my money, you don't value my business, and I'm canceling the order. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't breathe. Oh, it was just, yes. Yes. It was, it was bone crushing. I called the guy back. Nothing could resuscitate it. And it was a bit, it was, it was one of many 
stabs in the heart I've had in my career in sales as well as just life. And just after transfer from Georgia, too, so... Right. You know, so it was a... And then on Christmas break to stew about it, and oh, did you tell your parents? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? They, they knew all about it. So it was a... Uh, it was a... Uh, it was really painful, man. And, uh, you know, it's in those moments, I guess, you just kind of either sulk or you just get on with it. But it was a... Uh, it was a challenge. So what would you tell, like, somebody, uh, you know, mid to, you know, early 20s or something, or, or somebody mid-40s who <laughs> wants yeah. to be a better salesman? Uh, what would you, what would you, is, were there like, like quick tips or advice? Oh my gosh, there's give? so many, there's so many. I mean, I love sales. I love helping people. Um, there's so many. It depends on what you're doing. Um, let me see. What if you're selling a book? I'm not good at like selling the bin, <laughs> selling the book. Here, here's, here's the best thing I could say. Here's some tips. Hone your questions. Questions are an art form. Ask all kinds of open-ended questions. And uh, there's a term in it's called pop the why stack. Try to figure out people's true motivations for why they want to do something. Mm. You're here, there to help solve a problem and ultimately serve them. And you want to figure out why they want to, why they're trying to do what they want to do. And most people do things, make any kind of decision out of emotion and they justify with logic. That is so true. Most people try to sell logic, features, benefits, all that kind of stuff. But the real thing is how they're going to feel when they employ that feature or that benefit. Right. Or the feeling they're trying to get away from, like fear or anger, but it's typically fear-based. Yeah, we make a decision, then we tell ourselves, uh, the rational mind tells a story about it afterwards, and they're not related. It's yeah. literally just like a play-by-play of what we thought. <laughs> totally. So I'm always trying to figure out when I'm, when I'm coaching people, like how to sell, and even myself, I'm like, you know, why? Why do they want to do what they want to do? That's the first thing I want to understand. And then the second thing I want to understand is what are all the things around the sale that impact it? In our world, it's like, what's the environment look like? It's all this stuff. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to understand why they want what they want to do and what all the other things that are impacting that project or decision or outcome so that I can try to figure out a way to solve multiple problems with one solution. Okay. Or one project and tie these different things together so that ultimately they're happier and they want to do the, the deal because it's not just solving this one problem, it's solving like three. Right. So sometimes that means if they come in asking for this one thing or they're talking about this one thing, you might go deeper and say, you know what, if we did this way, we could solve like three different problems at once. Like, ah, oh, I didn't see that. And that's, I think, when you're a real salesperson is when you're not taking orders and you're, and you're helping people solve a bigger problem that maybe they didn't see themselves having. And you can help them avoid a future problem or get more for their money or something like that by solving something bigger. So That's I'd say cool. the number one thing is ask a lot of questions. Another one, just going back to the ATM machines, is just perseverance. It's just, you know, what are your routines and rhythms in life that just give you one piece when the when the when the tide comes? Because it when the when the when the when the conflict comes in your life, when the hardship, when you're getting beat down. You're getting beat down with rejection all the time. What are you going to do to deal with all that? Because it's going to come. Right. So, you know, you're going to, you're going to turn to the bottle or are you going to do something else? Right. How are you going to deal with rejection and, 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 and um, just the inevitable issues that come with sales? And I've seen people deal with it positively and negatively. Good. I want to come, I want to come back to this. Uh, so where was your first job? My first job was with a was with an IT company. But in Atlanta? Or Atlanta, in Athens, Norcross, or? Georgia. A company okay. called Optimus Solutions. 
we sold uh, used uh, computer equipment. And you just called or sent your email resume in and said, I, I mean, the, I would totally hire you as a salesman. You've already been doing it since you were, you know, a kid. Yeah. I mean, I met this guy at a, at a, uh, at a college job fair. And I had applied to become a pharmaceutical sales rep for another company in, like, Louisiana. But that job interview, I ended up interviewing that guy. I was like, why do you work here? How much money do you make? And do you really like it? Are you passionate about it? Right. And he's like, dude, you don't need to sell this stuff. You need to sell technology. Right. I was like, okay. That's pretty cool. So my sales teacher at Georgia told me to... So I got some out of that. My sales teacher told me this guy. So there was a sales class at Georgia? It It was a sales class, yeah. And... Anyway, I had a sales class at Georgia, and um, she knew this guy, and his name's Mark, and he said, you ought to go check this guy out, talk to him, and interviewed with him, and, you know, yeah, kept pestering him a little bit, and he hired me. So what was it like? You're, you're 23, 22? How old are you? 22, 23 years old. It was great. It was, uh, you know, I learned a lot. It was very, like any job, it was very overwhelming at first. I had to learn a lot of information. I was like, I'm never going to learn all this information. It's too complicated. It was kind of like being a stockbroker because you had to know the used price of all these random part numbers. It's kind of like knowing the NASDAQ. Okay. But once you kind of figure out the 80-20 rule of what people want and what you can buy and make money on and that kind of stuff. Let's talk about the 80-20 rule because I I think I know what that means, but maybe, uh, maybe I don't. Uh. 80-20 80-20 rule is a Pareto principle, which means 20% of the things you sell are going to bring you 80% of the profit. 20% of the people you know are going to bring you 80% of your relational value. So you concentrate on that 20% to get, yeah. to get the 80%. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That rule pretty old is true. If you look at anything, like, you know, almost anything. That's interesting. Um, what? Uh, how long were you at that job? I was at that job for about seven or eight years. Okay. Until I was 30. 30. That's a long time. So I quit and started Especially my first <clears throat> out of school. Yeah, I quit and started my own company when I was 30. Okay, so let's let's talk about that. Because that to me, um, I mean, that's that's I mean that's why I'm here. That's what I want to learn about. Uh, what what was that decision-making process? You were there for so long. So just walk me through that, those steps as far as the, your thinking. So my thinking was I wasn't, I wasn't trying to run away from anything. I was running, trying to run towards something. You know, sometimes people have a bad boss or, you know, they just don't enjoy what they do or whatever. Mark's a great guy. He hired a guy named Steve who's wonderful. Steve Johnson, you're out there. You're awesome. Mark Metz, you're awesome. Uh, both those people are great. The people I worked with were great. It was great. I was making a lot of money. It wasn't a money deal. I just, I'm always like, if I write down, I'm a big goals guy. If I write down a goal, oh my gosh. Don't let me write down a goal. Because write it down, it's gonna happen. <laughs> All right, we got it. We got a tangent on that. So tell me about how do you how do you uh, do you keep your goals? Are they like on your mirror? Are you reviewing them daily? Or like how do I've how do you how do you ki- use goals? I, I've tried all those kind of techniques, but um, what I try to do is uh, I try to have I've written down my goals in different formats, a zillion different formats, because I rewrite them several times a year. Some people write them down, you know, just first part of the year, you know, New Year's resolution kind of thing. Do you like a birthday thing or is it like a quarterly thing? I do it thing, all the time. It, I, do, okay. I do them all the time, but every time I change them, I have like a date stamped so I can review how did I change them and stuff like that. Okay. But um, I, I write them down and I usually break them down into like five or six categories. Faith, family, friends, uh, fitness, and uh, finance, which is m- work. 
So I, I try to think that's like the right priority of things in life is that okay. order. Uh, and when we don't put those things in that order, something gets all screwed up. If I just pay attention to work and I don't pay attention to my family, you know, then uh, then my family's not happy and I'm not happy. And I don't think we're designed to be that way. Right. And if I put, you know, uh, my, if I don't put my, in my life, I don't put my faith first, then every other piece of my, because then what's my guiding compass, everything else for me in my life kind of gets out of, out of sorts. So I'm better if I put my faith first than my family, my friends, and fitness, because I want to stay healthy and active, and then ultimately finance stuff, which is work. Yeah. So I try to I try to update that template, you know, anywhere from one to six times a year, and I'll look at it. I was having a rhythm where I look at it every Friday just for a few minutes to make sure I'm kind of on task. Right. But lately, it's been like once a month. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which one do you have the hardest time staying on track with? I would say um, the toughest one for me is friends. I think that's the toughest one. Really? Yep. Uh, I, I Like I said, I find it easy to converse with people and make friends, but I have a hard time keeping deep, meaningful relationships. And maybe what I see as a deep, meaningful relationship is different than what other people would have. Okay. I have a lot of friends like yourself, like deep, deep, deep friends. That right. You're, doing life with or whatever that's just kind of a christianese but like really d- deep yeah friendship that you're roll al- deep always tracking with yeah i can be aloof at times and i'm on my, my own uh, uh what do you call it i'm my own worst enemy when it comes to that so that's probably my, my deep my, my most difficult one uh sticking to who are my core group of friends i'm spending time with them consistently um you know that's probably the the one I've had the most difficult time with. It becomes really more difficult the older you get. Yeah. Uh, at least I, that's what I've found. Why is that? Well, I think because we're changing. Yeah. We're all changing as, as humans and as friends so that, you know, the deep core friendship you might have had, you know, five years ago, if you're both changing you know, in different ways, yeah. most likely it may not be, it's not going to be the same. Yeah. Which means it may not be as intimate. I think it really is. And I think the thing about friendship is that, um, you know, especially in a big city, people, a transient city like Atlanta, people come and go. Right. All the people in my 20s are gone. They're all gone. They're all in northern, you know, suburbs. I don't blame them. Yeah. Kids are up there, work's up there. Or they move somewhere else entirely. Yeah. So almost all my friends from my 20s live somewhere else. Heck, one of my friends, Jeff, he lives on the west side of Atlanta. That's not far. 10 miles. Right. But it just takes 45 minutes yeah, to get there with traffic. So, you know, one week there. becomes five years, you know? Yeah, this is something I've been struggling with a lot too lately. It yeah. Just uh, realizing that it's okay to let go. Yeah. But also being a little sad about it. And then the struggle to find, you know, new relationships totally. to replace those. Totally. I mean, I think, I think, I think in the big, this is a different tangent. We'll get on this for a second, but. I think that one of the number one epidemics in a large city, and maybe with any place, but I think with a, is loneliness. I think that's, and uh, I think as, I think some people are naturally friendly people, but some people are naturally collectors of people in some way. They're, it's a, they're very, have a magnet personality. People are always around, come to my house, come on over. Right. And if you're not that way, I find it, it's, it's I'm not that, I, I like that. But I'm not. That's not my natural bent. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think a lot of people. I know I do struggle with loneliness. Even with I, I do have a lot of friends. Right. But at the same time, 
struggle with that. And then no. you and then you get the CEO seat, you know, and it's it's a twofer. Yeah, completely. So anyway, so go back to goals. Um, well, let's go. Let's go all the way back. Let's talk about the, the idea to start the, your own business. Sure. Sure. Because uh, I, I think that transition, because I think there are a ton of people out here in this world that are working a job. They may be happy like you were in the job or they may un- be unhappy in their job, but they are yeah. they are reluctant to take that step. Yeah. For for fear, uh, for, for lack of know-how. Yeah. So I'd love to be able to help anybody out on, on that. So. Well, I think the first thing in life, if you want to do anything, is write it down. I want to start a, I want to start a company. So I wrote a goal down. I want to start a company when I was 30, and I didn't know what I wanted to start. Let's go to why. So why? I just, I don't know. I don't yep. know. I was like, when I'm 30, just knew you wanted I wrote that. it down when I was about 23. I was like, I'm starting a company when I'm 30. And I think subconsciously, I saved a lot of money that I was earning as a sales rep, as a base. So that gave me a good financial cushion to do it. Um, and when I got 30, when I started right it, and I started when I was about 30 in like four or five months, as I was approaching 30, I was like, I became dissatisfied with my job. And I was making a ton of money. Yeah. And what was the dissatisfaction then? It was around the challenge of it. Okay. I just know I need a new challenge in life. You're getting bored, maybe. Getting bored, but it was it, it I don't I can't, I can't really I can't really say it's boredom. It okay. was just I just wanted a challenge. It's like, you know, you're riding a motorcycle and like this is great. I love riding the motorcycle, but I want to go climb that mountain. I'm not bored of the motorcycle. I just want to go do that. Okay. So just, I don't know, I don't want to say calling or something. I just, it's kind of wired to do it. I wrote it down and now it's like in my subconscious. I'm going to go do it. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to do it. Um, I really didn't do it to say I want to make a bunch of money. I knew that would probably, that would happen or hopefully happen. If, right. You know, the company grew. If it's going well, it's going to happen. You know, that it could be a financial rewarding potentially, but it could be also a financial failure. Completely. And we didn't make money for a long time, you know. Uh, but the decision to make that, I think, is one, just deciding in your mind you're going to do it and then putting together some kind of plan to do it. So how long before you started to put together the plan? Not not writing it down as a goal, but actually making concrete steps or we action steps. We had no to, plan. We started the company. I quit my job. Who's the we? Me and my best friend Manning. Okay. And we started the company. He, he owned a percentage of the company. I owned a percentage of the company. And we started the company, and uh, he worked at that company too, but he had left about a year before. <clears throat> but we said, we're going to start a company. We almost started a, a, a self-storage company. We looked into that. We looked into, we looked into starting a coffee shop. We were going to start uh, drive-up coffee shops and call it the Drip Drop Coffee Shop uh, and start f- coffee franchise. We looked into that. So it didn't matter necessarily uh-uh. what industry it was, it was running your own, it was running your own thing. And I like this industry, what I'm in now. Yeah. And I've got some things we're working on, which I think are really exciting at the same time. If I had to quit or something, you know, and like, you know, I'd probably find something else. And I just like, I like business. Yeah. I like people. I like sales. I like the problems that pop up. Yeah. Um, and the opportunities you to pursue and all the different, it challenges your mind in all kinds of different ways. So that's what I like. So, what are the uh, kind of what are the key core mistakes you made oh in the my. very beginning that so you can help many avoid? Well, Manning and I didn't sign an operating agreement. Make make sure you sign one of those bad boys because he and I are friends. So, when you go into business with your friends, um, you know you go into it, you know, going like, "This is great. We're great friends." Manning's my best friend, still is, and um, you know, you go into this 
venture and you're like, this is going to be great. Yeah. And then you just have a conflict, just like in a marriage, any relationship, we've all, all experienced conflict, but now you're bound just like in a marriage. Like we have to work this out. Right. And if you don't know how to really resolve conflict very well, which most of us, I mean, that should be taught in college. Yeah. Nobody trains you for that. How do you resolve conflict constructively? Um, you know, I've, I've begun to study that, but, uh, I'm, I, you know, we had conflict like everybody do, and we just didn't we didn't respond to it very well. So we uh, so sign definitely sign have an sign agreement. A, sign an agreement. Come up with an agreement. There's a book now called Dividing the Pie or Slicing the Pie, Slicing the Pie, and it makes so sense about how to divide up equity in a small business oh, that's and cool. help you avoid so much conflict. And I just started reading it the other day. And um, just awesome. I was like, God, I wish we would have uncovered that. The other thing is, like, make sure the people you go into business with have your same uh, purpose, principles, and kind of vision for where you're going. We, are, we, we differed a little bit on the vision and the mechanics of how we're going to get there. And uh, over time, that just started to – And if it's just not addressed properly, conflict turns into bitterness, turns into resentment. And just, you know, that so just... So over, over-communicate. Over-communicate. So make exactly. sure you clarify what your roles are in the relationship. Who's going to make the decision? Who's going to make that decision? Who has authority to do X, Y, and Z? Um, that's so important to figure that stuff out. Did y'all self-funded or did you go outside to get outside funding? Self-funded. Like- self-funded. Never got any funding, ever. And um, it was great. And uh, after like three years... I approached him and said, you know, I'd like to buy you out of the business. And he was going through a life change, and he's like, cool. And that was really hard. Yeah, I bet. Because we had to get the company valued. I had to sign a lot of money to buy him out. Are you all making money at this point yet? or? Uh, Yes, we are making money. So the company's worth some money. Okay. But I'm signing up for it. I'm going, here goes Manning, who's awesome. Right. And when I buy him out, he's probably going to be less and less interested in staying here and his contribution will go down, which he was contributing to the profitability and uh, the workload of just managing the, the shop. And so that changed. And I had to hire a, a new sales leader and construct that and run the company. And, you know, then um, he went through a divorce at the same time. And it was just like a lot going on. It was a it was it was a it was a nuclear volcano yeah of stress so let's talk about how you handle that how do you and just because before we started taping we walked around the office and all i'm thinking of is this is a lot of responsibility there are a lot of people here there's a lot going on yeah like how do you handle that stress i can't say i handled it very well then uh you know i i how i handle stress now i'm a christian i believe in jesus i have faith sometimes it's very sometimes it's strong sometimes it's so weak i can't even see it but um what i do now is i spend a lot of time prayer i just like god help me please help me i don't know what i'm doing um i have some good friends i'm a i like to talk it out with people i have some really good mentors and peers that own businesses i I suggest anybody's in a peer group like either just in life you know, if you're a writer, you're in a writer's group. If you're a business owner's group. If you're a, 
in a church and you're in your 20s getting a small group with people who are just a peer group of friends that you could just share your life with and just how do you how do you find that how did you how did you find your peer group and I found two there was one when I started the company called Vistage it was like a peer group a paid you pay somewhere between eight and ten thousand dollars a year to be coached and in a group with other people that have small businesses okay and then I found another one called Entrepreneurs Organization a little bit later that was just people who owned and were the entrepreneurs. Vistage was geared toward anybody that had a leadership position in a company. Right. Didn't have to necessarily be an owner. But if you're an owner and an entrepreneur, there's just a different dynamic. It's a special kind of stress, isn't if, it? Yeah. If this company goes into business, I'm selling my house, you know, or something. Right. You know, it's, it's just a bigger deal. Yeah. There's bigger issues, for me at least, and maybe, you know, you know, Tim Cook, he's got bigger issues than I do. But, you know, I think there's a special kind of stress and issues and questions and considerations when, you, when you're when you an entrepreneur. So it helps to be in a peer group. Okay. And it helps to have mentors. So how I handle stress is just a prayer, um, hanging out with good people and getting their opinion and exercising. That's how I deal with stress. What's and your exercise routine? I wake up. Uh, this morning I wake up at 4.15. Uh, that was way too early, but usually I get up at 5.15. Oh, okay. So that's, that's not too... You told me 4.15 earlier. That, that's not really that's, that far that's removed from crazy. what you normally do. I get up at 5.15. I get up, uh, you know, I usually read a little bit in, in the Bible and uh, meditate and pray for a while. Put all my worries and fears. Now, are you the only one up at this point? Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, so you got the house for yourself. Got the house myself. And then... Uh, after that's done, that usually takes about 30 minutes or so, I work out. There's a great guy. I, I love uh, YouTube. YouTube's awesome. It's it's it can bunch, be. It got a bunch of trash on there, too, but there's a lot of good stuff on there, too. It's as good as we make it. It's as good as you make it. So what, it's good as your search query. There we go. So there's a guy on there called Joe Wicks. He's got a, a, a podcast called, uh, or, or whatever you call it, called the uh, YouTube channel called The Body Coach TV. Joe Wicks, you're out there. You're awesome. Is that W-I-X or W-I-S-C-K-S? I think it's... If I'll link to it in the show notes. I'll look, it body coach, the body okay. coach. He's got these hit workouts, high intensity interval training. It's mm-hmm. 15 to 20 minutes, either with dumbbells or without, just body weight. And he's really funny. And he, he's like, oh, this is horrible. This is so painful. You're doing a workout. He's like, that was awful. That was naughty. He's like an English guy, I think. Yeah. He's just really funny. And uh, yeah, work out with him 15, 20 minutes and uh, get a little pep in my step. Do that about three to four times a week. Okay. So that helps manage it. Yeah. Yeah. So that helps with the stress of all the, to go back to your original questions, the mistakes I make, which I make a lot yeah. and have made a lot in business. And when you have more people working for you, they're human, they're going to make mistakes too and have conflict. So it just gets um, compounded and exacerbated a little bit. So I feel like the sales end of it uh, is something, I mean, obviously you've worked on as well, but like also like right in your alley personality wise uh-huh. and, and training, you've been doing it since that. How did you learn to be a CEO? Because those feel like, in a lot of ways, different skills. I say I'm still learning how to be one. Uh, I've been doing this 11 years, and I am—I would rate myself a B. You know, uh, uh, there's so many aspects of the job. Some, some that I'm really good at, and some that I'm not so good at. Um, in a small company, you have to run the day-to-day operation of the business, and you also have to plan for the future. And that takes two different sides of your brain. And depending on the size and scope of your organization, it takes different amounts of time. So in my job, I have to do both. 
have to run all the different functions of the business, sales, marketing, finance, operations, not run them, but make sure they're all syncing together towards a common goal. And I have to plan for the future and bring that plan into reality. And there's all kinds of skill sets you need to, you know, it depends on your industry that you need to do, you know, and everything from like understanding financials to understanding how to sell, understanding how to motivate your team, understanding, you know, marketing, just all that stuff. You're going to hire people eventually to do all these things, but you have to understand how to hire people, how to post jobs. I mean, there's all kinds of different, you go from two people to five people to 15 people to 30 people to a hundred people. I mean, it just, Where's that I've read before, like there are certain leaps in people where it becomes exponentially more difficult to manage them. Have you found that to be the case? Yes. Do you remember, like, where are the growing pains? Uh, I think I'm in one right now. Yeah? It's, it's kind of that, that size of, like, 35 people. There's a lot of people here, but it's not like a zillion. You still know everybody's name and, hey, what's going on, all that kind of stuff. Right. But you need more organizational discipline for you to work as a unit. And it, it becomes less and less like everybody just kind of figure it out. It's more and more, more structure. You need different types of people to get to the next level, different types of thinking. Systems need to be more crisp. Anyway, I, I'm in one right now. Okay. It's been a hard. It's been a hard I just saw year. with that question and with 415, I just saw it all catch up right there. <laughs> That's it all. It all pops up. But I think, uh, you know, w- it was me and Manning, it was great. Then you hire your first employee, that's great. I think when you get to like, when you go from yourself to a few employees to, I think a, a big thing is when I actually stopped selling. That was a big pivotal moment. And oh, that was a big God, decision. Because I was like, I am not going to sell anymore. And I can sell. And... And when you start giving leads and accounts to people and you know they're not, you know, they don't, I mean, it's not, they're not trying to do any ill will. They're just not as experienced. And you're like, you're going to fail and it's going to cost me a lot of money, but you have to fail in order to get better. Right. Man, that's hard. I believe you. That's really hard, especially when you have a small business and you're starting to hire people outside of the salespeople who need to be paid. Yeah. That's hard, man. That's hard. And releasing that control and then, you know, growing, growing, you have more and more people. It just becomes, you know, people are wonderful and people, you know, are also, you know, every person makes the organization a little bit more complicated because it's a person. Right. And God made us unique. And we're all so well balanced. And we're, exactly. <laughs> And, you know, you add more one more person to the – Yeah, I think the level of complexity goes up, I don't know, somewhat exponentially. Yeah. You know? So we're definitely in one of those phases now. Where do you want the company to go? Like, what's, what, are the, what, are the, what is the written down goal for the company? I mean, you don't have to share it specifically, but yeah, in uh, what direction? Well, we have a revenue goal, which is probably – that's sort of like – that's an easy goal to aim at. Like, what do we want to – what revenue do we want to be at? Right. But if we have a long-term goal, uh, you know, we want to transform this business uh, from being just a traditional reseller of hardware and support to a platform uh, that connects buyers and sellers uh, to really uh, buyers and sellers of IT equipment, hardware, and services. Um, I could explain the whole vision to you. It's over there on the board. There's a picture of it. 
but um, we want to be a platform. And the P is in the middle. If you see the the thing over there, and um, we've got a plan to get there. And I really, I really think we can get there. By the way, for the uh, for the audio audience here, I am looking at this whiteboard and. It, it, it might as well be Sanskrit <laughs> as far as like my ability to understand what's going on. But that's, that's all right. It's still very cool. Yeah. Well, we want to be a platform to buy, sell and support technology. That's, that's the, that's the sound bite. Yeah. And, uh, there is no platform for that today. eBay's the closest thing. And, uh, we believe we can build it and we have a big customer base and we believe we can solve some inefficiencies that exist in the market and we're well on our way to doing it. What are the biggest challenges in making this happen? <clears throat> well, anything with you have a platform, you have, you're going to build a platform, which we've built, and uh, you have to make it intuitive and easy to use for people. Then you have to let people know that it exists. They have to use it, and they're going to find it less intuitive than you, you do because you built it. And they're going to find some features, like, these are great, and they take you, like, day to build, and some features are, like, a month, and they're like, this sucks. I would never use this. <laughs> yeah, right. So you're trying to figure out that minimum viable product of like, what do the customers really want? What do they find value and what are they going to pay for? Right. That's hard. I believe I you. never built software. So I just had this dream to do it. So I was like, two and a half years ago, like, we're going to do this. So I hired a developer. I was like, I do not know what I'm doing, but here's what I want to start with. And we started. And I learned all about software development and project management on software development so started to build it and just about three years later here we are and um so building a platform is hard uh integrating a new big idea like this into an existing team is hard i've heard this thing like new ideas are sort of like a unless it, new new transformational ideas are sort of like a invasive cyst on the organism on the organism and the organism wants to kill it Right. They just change. Who likes change? Nobody. Change is so hard. Change is hard. And the, the organization tries to kill it. So your internal team can try to kill it because you can see what it's going to do, but it's not going to, it's not going to be so easy for them to use this platform or use this technology till it's a little long down, down the road. Right. And, you know, people don't want to show it to their customers because it might make them uneasy or whatever. It's just hard. It's hard. That's a hard period is change in an organization or anything in your Life, body, friendship, mindset, change is hard. Yeah. So you have to like, that's where, you know, I've heard that grit is like one of the most valued qualities in someone, at least in a maybe a sales role or entrepreneur. You got to have grit, dude. Just says like, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna grind this. We're going to grind this sucker out. Right. So. Do you have a launch date yet? Or it's is launched. It, oh, it's launched. It's okay. been launched. It's oh, cool. been launched for about a year, but there's more and more features that get added. It becomes more and more public, these features. And, um, anyway, it's, uh, that's the long range vision and we're working on it. And it's, uh, it's hard. It's like saying, let's, let's go build LinkedIn and eBay, smash them together. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Let's go build those two bad boys together and make all that work. Right. And then, uh, you know, that's hard. Yeah. But that's what we're trying to build. We are almost out of time. I want to ask you just a couple more questions. Sure. Uh, and maybe we can do a round two because I got a, a ton more I'd love to talk about. Done. But uh, another time, perhaps. I find it cathartic to talk. So I appreciate you asking the questions. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, let's For the last topic, because I think let's, boom, we just decided we are going to do a round two. So talk to me a little bit about hiring. Yeah. Uh, talk about how did you find your software developers? How do you hire people here? What have you learned through your 11 years or 12 years of, of doing this? 
I have never asked that question, and I thank you so much for asking it. Hiring is awesome. It's hiring because 80% of the value of someone is going to walk in when they walk in the first day. Oh, that's interesting. Because I'm not saying I'm diminishing a person's value, but their mindset they think, and character they bring to the position is so foundational. Are they a hard worker? Are they lazy? Are they intelligent? Are they technical? Are they, you know, curious? Are they, you know, a lot of the things you just can't teach someone. I can right. teach someone about our industry. I can't, it's hard to teach someone curiosity. Right. You know, you're a naturally curious person, you know, and we could suss that out with a few questions. But if you weren't, you know, it's hard to do. So my hiring process is we use a process called top grading. Um, I wish it was a little, I wish everyone in the company used it, uh, to the same rigor. I try to, but basically what it is, is when you write a job ad for someone, I think first is my job ads. If you ever go to our, our website, you look at our job ads, they're crazy. I put all the problems out there. I write them in like no uncertain terms. Like you're stepping into a, <laughs> a, a mess. <laughs> right. I was about to say something else. Yeah. You're stepping into a big pile of mess <laughs> and here's the mess and here's why that's exciting. Yeah. And that's what I want people want. I want people fired up about heck yeah, I love big messes that I get to clean up. Yeah. So I write the I was like, this is what the job is. So it comes back how you sell the job and how you put it out there. And I want to disqualify people with the job. I'm like, this could be a hard and if you like hard work and this kind of crazy stuff, come on, because that's what I want to work with. People are passionate about, you know, working hard, working smart, doing yeah. great work. So first thing, my hiring process is I write a scorecard about the person I want in the role. That's an internal facing document. It says, what are the outcomes I want this person to achieve? Oh, that's cool. Yep. And then I put a scorecard that scores that person on a score to one to five on how likely I think they can achieve that outcome. I also put the the, the key attributes to that person they need to have in the role, like curiosity, like resourcefulness, maybe a skill like they need to know Excel or whatever, if that's like a deeper skill that takes a long term to learn. I put that on a scorecard, then I write the job ad. Then we uh, post the job ad. We use a system called Jazz, which jazz.co used to be called the Resumator, but it's like a, they can apply and it goes inside this database where you can track all the resumes. Then we do like a five-level process where we screen the resumes. Then we call them down to maybe 20 or 30%. Then we do a phone screen on that. And then we call them down to people we're going to bring in. And then the people we bring in will do a process called top grading. This whole process is called top grading. His son wrote a book called Who, which is a read version, which is fine. Uh, but basically we do a, a, a basically a career interview where you talk about what are five questions you ask somebody about their, 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 their job, their current job? And you ask the same five questions about each one of their last five jobs. And people cannot hide from ha patterns. That's fascinating. They cannot lie. They can lie about something. But if you ask the same five jobs, you will see if they've worked hard, achieved their targets, been resourceful, overcome problems, how they are as a person. You know, are they social or not in social situations? Do they make friends at work or not? Um, all kinds of stuff. But I ask the same five questions about the last five roles and some other ancillary questions that are, you know, that, that correlate to the job. And that gives me a pretty good idea of how to score them on a one to five, how well they can reach that outcome. 
That's amazing. Yeah. And so then I negotiate with them, and then we uh, hire them, and on we go. There we go. Yeah. Well, why don't we leave it here for this time? Is there anything else you'd like to like to say before we uh, – well, again, we will do a round two. This no, I think this is great. I think uh, – I don't know if I could leave anybody with anything. Just uh, if you're going through hard times, just, you know, keep on digging it out. Keep on keeping on. Get some grit and fight through it. And if you're a person of faith, take it to the Lord, and he'll help you out. That's awesome. Thank you, Reed. You got it, man. Thank you for listening to the Origin Story Podcast. The show is produced by Pinecone Turkey. To learn more about Pinecone Turkey, visit pineconeturkey.com, where you can sign up for the Flock email, a twice-a-month newsletter that delivers a short film, poetry, a short story, and visual art right to your inbox. It's your monthly dose of art curated by Pinecone Turkey. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by leaving us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening.